Greetings! Today is Sunday, June 11th, 2017. In 1846, a man led a group of Mormons from New York to California to relocate their settlement and would end up starting the great California gold rush, becoming its first millionaire without ever finding gold himself. Today I have the story of Samuel Brannan on the 128th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. I hope you're doing great today, and I hope the weather by you is as good as it is here in Chicago, because the weather outside my door is wonderful. Today I am talking about a man who lived in the 1800s named Samuel Brannan. And I'm doing this because, well, it was suggested by Brecky, and um, he's my boss, so I sort of have to, if you know what I'm saying. And I'm actually kidding, of course. Brecky did suggest today's topic, but I'm doing it because it's a darn fascinating one. In fact, the more I researched Brannon, the more fascinated I became. I almost thought of making this a two-parter, but, well, I didn't. You know, I feel the need to remind listeners every once in a while that I cannot possibly tell anyone's complete life story in 20 minutes. I couldn't even tell a complete life story of anyone if I had two weeks. And like many stories, the exact details are debatable. I've read a bunch of biographies of Samuel Brannan, and many have conflicting information. Now, I've read in later years that Brannan himself would change his own story depending on what was going on in his life, so who knows what is true and what's not. So I just did my best to tell a good story. Take it with a grain of salt. One thing that happened to me while writing this tale is that late in my research, I found that there was a book called Scoundrel's Tale, The Samuel Brennan Papers. It is by historian William Bagley, who specializes in the history of the Western United States and the American Old West. He spent several years researching Brannan. Unfortunately, none of the local libraries had this book, and it was too late for me to order it, but maybe I'll get around to reading it in the future, and I'll write an updated version of this story. I did find some information that was based on his book, and some excerpts from his book, so that helped a little. Anyway, the story's another long one, and I'm planning to enjoy some Chicago Cubs baseball at Wrigley Field this afternoon, so I have to get started with the story right away. Here's the story of California's first millionaire. This podcast is part of the Psycon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Psycon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. Early in February 1846, a merchant ship, the Brooklyn, carrying over 200 Mormons, set sail from New York City. Its destination, California. 
In charge of the company was a 27-year-old elder, possessed of an extraordinary ability to organize and lead. He was energetic, intelligent, and in his heart carried a vision for the destiny of the saints, Samuel Brown. In 1848, a worker of John Sutter found gold in California. Sutter had reasons for wanting to keep the find quiet, but he didn't count on Samuel Brannan, who ran down the street yelling, Gold! Gold! on the American River! Brannan, an ex-Mormon, businessman and journalist, wasn't crazy and had no desire to look for the valuable mineral himself. He knew that a mad rush of fortune hunters was his key to fame and fortune. He would become California's first millionaire only to die poor and in relative obscurity. He was born on March 2, 1819 in the state of Maine, the fifth and last child of Thomas and Sarah Brannan. His father was a very successful farmer, but was irritable and a hard drinker. He was also 64 years old when Samuel was born. When Sam grew up, he was very close to his older sister, Marianne, so at the age of 14, when he had enough of his abusive father, he left home and moved in with her and her husband Alexander in Painesville, Ohio. They lived only a few miles from the Latter-day Saints Center in Kirkland. The two joined this new religious group, the Mormons, and Sam eventually joined as well. He quickly moved up the ranks of the LDS and soon found himself as an apprentice in the church's printing office. When his father died, he inherited a good sum of money in which he used to invest in land in the hopes of getting rich, but a market crash made the land worthless. After that, he began to travel to see the country, and he would later say that he had visited every state in the Union. He traveled back to Maine to visit his alien mother and then to see his brother Thomas in New Orleans. The brothers bought a printing press in the hopes of starting a new business. This venture was short-lived, however, as tragedy struck. Thomas came down with yellow fever, and it quickly took his life. Sam eventually returned to his sister's home in Painesville, and it was there he began to devote himself to the LDS Church, and soon had a wife, Harriet Hatch, known as Hattie. And it wasn't long before the couple were expecting their first child. The church sent him to Connecticut, where he began to work as a printer alongside Apostle William Smith, the local leader of the Latter-day Saints movement and brother of LDS founder Joseph Smith. While staying at a local boarding house, he met the daughter of the mother who ran the house, Anneliese Korowitz, and the two fell in love and eventually got married. Now, I must point out here that the story of his first wife, Hattie, might or might not be true. According to historian William Bagley's paper, Brannon Before Brooklyn, there is not a shred of documentary evidence to support the story that he had earlier married and abandoned Harriet Hatch in Ohio. But, according to Wikipedia, he did marry Hattie, so you can believe what you want, I guess. Anyway, by 1844, he was living in New York, married to Anneliese Korowitz, not Hattie Hatch, and publishing the LDS newspaper The Prophet while he continued his missionary work. But across the country, in the town of Nauvoo, Illinois, the Mormons were having some major problems. The founder of Mormonism and the later Day Saints movement, Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram, were arrested for perjury, polygamy, and treason. 
They were attacked by an angry mob in a Carthage jail, and both were shot and killed. And around this time, Brannon was having his own trouble with the church. There are two separate stories of why this is. The most popular reason is that Brannon wasn't happy with Brigham Young taking over the position as prophet. He had made it known that he thought Joseph Smith's brother, William, who he had worked closely with in Connecticut, should have taken his rightful place as prophet, and the church didn't like his attitude very much. Other sources say the church heard that Brannon and some of his colleagues were suspected of being more interested in self-promotion than building up the church, including taking advantage of some of the female members. But whatever the cause, Brannon was defellowshipped from the church. A year later, however, Brannon went to the Quorum of Twelve Apostles pleading for forgiveness and was reinstated as a member of the church. It was granted in May of 1845, and he was soon back in New York publishing a paper called The New York Messenger. Because of the trouble in Nauvoo, Illinois, the LDS felt it needed to relocate. The group was no longer comfortable with their place in the United States. An elder named Orson Pratt wrote a letter in which he said they were to flee because they were exiles from this wicked nation. He also wrote, Brethren, awake! Be determined to get out of this evil nation next spring. We do not want one saint to be left in the United States after that time. Let every branch in the east, west, north, and south be determined to flee out of Babylon, either by land or by sea. The plan was to move out west because at that time, the area of Utah, Arizona, Nevada, and California were not yet part of the Union and still owned by Mexico. That was the area the Mormons felt they should head. Brigham Young took one group by wagon train out west, while Brannon took his followers from New York aboard the ship Brooklyn to California. He organized the trip well, bringing all the supplies and tools they would need once they arrived, including livestock, farming equipment, and even his printing press. Around 239 people signed up to go with him, 70 men, 69 women, and 100 children, and they set sail on the fourth day of February, 1846. At the same time, some say the same day, Brigham Young and his group began traveling by wagon train from Nauvoo, Illinois. The ship was packed with people who lived in rooms that were barely high enough for a child, and they were practically elbow to elbow for six months. They dealt with horrible odor and sickness. Of course, not for Brannon, who had the most spacious stateroom and dined with the captain. He established rules for his followers, and he demanded strict religious devotion, with prayers being held every night. During the last leg of his journey, many of the group began questioning Brannon and the privileges he took while on the voyage, as well as his high-handed tactics. Things got so bad that a trial was held aboard the ship, and four brethren were excommunicated. The travel was rough, with nine or ten dying before they arrived in California. But the surviving Mormons all arrived in the small Mexican port town of Yerba Buena, California, a place that would later become present-day San Francisco. 
At the time, the village was so small that the arrival of Brannan and his company tripled the population. They had all come with the vision of an independent outpost for the Mormon kingdom of God, but that all changed as soon as they arrived. Flying high over the village of Yerba Buena was a large American flag. The California area was now part of the United States. They had just taken it over from Mexico as part of the Mexican-American War. When Brannan first saw it, he said, By God, there's that damned American flag. Brannan was appointed as president of California's Latter-day Saints mission and soon was publishing the paper The California Star, the first newspaper in California. In the hopes of starting a new Nauvoo of the Saints, with the help of the local natives, an area was picked out by the Sacramento River that they named New Hope. The settlers of New Hope began to complain for various reasons, like mosquitoes, the weather, and its isolation from other settlements. One by one they began to leave, and New Hope was a failure. Yet, even with that, Brandon was generally happy with the success of the Mormons in California. He is often credited to be the first to perform certain actions in the region, like a non-Catholic wedding ceremony, the first to preach in English, and the first to set up a California public school and a flour mill. In April of 1847, Brannan and a couple of his companions traveled across the Sahara Nevada mountain range to meet up with Brigham Young and his group in an attempt to convince Young to bring the Mormons to California. But Young had already made the decision to settle in Salt Lake City, Utah. He told Brannan, We have no business in San Francisco. The Gentiles will be there pretty soon. Brannan returned disappointed, believing the settlement in Utah City would fail. He did his best to convince the group that California was the place to be. Still, though, many left heading east to Utah to be with Brigham Young. Now, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, one is required to pay a tithe, which is one-tenth of annual earnings, a tax for supporting the church and clergy. Brannan, as the only church leader in the area, was the one who collected this money, but some began to question where this money was going. It should be going to Brigham Young, but was it? Many of the California members stopped paying this. All that was going on, members leaving, not paying the tithe, I don't believe was a huge concern to Brannan, as he had been drifting away from the church and had other things on his mind. Up to this point, the West Coast was a small settlement area for the United States with only a few people who dared to travel across the harsh wilderness of the West settling in the area. That changed on January 24, 1848. That's when a man named James Marshall, who worked for John Sutter, saw something shining a stream by a sawmill that he and 20 men were building. His boss, John Sutter, was a man with a dream, and that was to have a kingdom in California, a vast agricultural domain, and he was well on his way to doing so. He had built a huge fort, had about 12,000 head of cattle, and although he was heavily in debt, was well on his way to create his own private empire. That all changed when James Marshall reached down to the river and picked up a few small rocks, which he described as 
very bright and brittle, and gold, bright yet malleable. He said, I tried it between two rocks and found that it could be beaten into different shapes, but not broken. John Sutter recorded his meeting with Marshall in his diary. He wrote, Marshall arrived in the evening. It was raining very heavily, but he told me he came on important business. After we were alone in a private room, he showed me the first specimens of gold, that he wasn't certain if it was gold or not, but he thought it might be. Immediately I made proof and found that it was gold. I told him even that most of it is 23 carat gold. He told me I should come up with him immediately, but I told him I'd have to give my first orders to the people in all my factories and shops. The two agreed to keep the discovery secret, but with the workers at the mill knowing of the find, it was not to be. Brannon had a store with a man named C.C. Smith. One day a worker came in from the mill and attempted to purchase goods with gold. Smith inquired to where he had got the gold. The worker told him, but asked Smith to keep it quiet. Smith told Brannon. When Sam Brannon heard of the gold, he knew it was his ticket to fame and fortune. Oh, he had no desire to pan for the precious metal. That wasn't the way to make money, for he knew well the laws of supply and demand. The secret was to make money off those that wanted to find the gold. He quickly began buying up all the gold mining equipment he could find, picks, shovels, pans, and such, and then went running through the streets with a glass bottle filled with gold, yelling, Gold! Gold! From the American River! His intent was to start a gold rush, and it worked. It is said that he bought a pan for about 15 cents before his announcement, and now it sold for $15. In the first nine weeks, he made $36,000, and soon his store was taking in $5,000 a day, and that was huge in 1848. Brannon used all his resources, including his newspaper, to promote the gold rush and open more stores. Vincent Perez Rosales, a Chilean gold miner, described Brannon's store near Sutter's Fort. We saw there was a cabin of unfinished boards, a few huts of woven branches, and a short distance away was a large store with a huge sign that read Brannon and Company. The chief of this establishment was an ex-Mormon Brannon. He was the head or parish priest of his sect on this side of the Sahara, Nevada. Shrewd enough to take advantage of the labor of his numerous parishioners, having also managed to monopolize a rich tract along the banks of the American, he became very rich in a short time. It seems that he had no sooner won his wealth than he discarded his religion without replacing it by another, although gossip had it that in order to hush his consciousness, he frequently said prayers to St. Polygamy. Vincent was right, for it was about this time that Brannon broke with the Mormon faith for good. The legend goes like this. Brigham Young was in Utah and heard of Brannon's wealth and that Brannon was collecting the Lord's tithes from the Mormon miners, and he sent an apostle to collect the Lord's money. When the apostle confronted Brannon, Brannon told him, You go back and tell Brigham that I'll give up the Lord's money when he sends me a receipt signed by the Lord, and no sooner. This was, or some variation of this tale, what is often told, 
but many believe it's fiction or an exaggeration that Sam told in his later years. He was well known for varying the details of his life as time went on. According to historian Will Bagley, who wrote the book Scoundrel's Tales, the Sam Brannan Papers, it most likely isn't true. Brigham Young did send a messenger to see if he could collect money, 10% of Brannan's earnings. But unknown to Young at the time, Brennan had long since broken away from Mormonism. In mid-March 1849, Brennan wrote a letter to his sister in Boston reporting that he had cleared more than $100,000 during the previous year and he hoped to keep the cash from the authorities of the church. They have forsaken me, he wrote. It is thought that the church was more concerned about the money that Brennan owed them for the printing press and the trip to California and when Sam paid the debt in full, he considered his involvement with the LDS over. Some have written that is what caused Brannon to be disfellowshipped from the LDS church, but there is another story. With the California gold rush in full swing, thousands of people were traveling by boat or wagon to the West Coast, and crime became an issue. According to John Bossenecker, the author of Badge and Buckshot, Lawlessness in Old California, between 1849 and 1856, San Francisco had an average murder rate of 49 per 100,000 people. To help with this, Brennan created the San Francisco Committee of Vigilance, an unofficial police force. Apparently, during a vigilante raid, an innocent squatter was killed and Brannon was said to have pulled the trigger. Some say it was this that caused his disfellowship from the Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But whatever the reason, Brannon was no longer a member of the Church and soon was the richest man in California, its first millionaire. With all his money, Brannon decided he was going to use all his resources to help develop the Los Angeles area of California and its connection with the East. He invested in land, banks, schools, railroads, telegraph companies, and a lot more. He established ship trade with China, Hawaii, and the East Coast. In 1853, he was elected as a senator to the California State Senate in the new state capital of Sacramento. He was elected to the first town council of San Francisco in the new U.S. territory. And at the same time, Brandon made known his feelings about slavery and spoke out against it. All was going well, but then in 1872, his empire collapsed. It all began when his wife filed for divorce. At this point, the couple had three to five children, depending on what you're reading. I can't find any reason why she did this, but I have read many stories that tell of Sam's womanizing. And as far as I can tell, he was always involved with other women, all the way back to his days running a newspaper in New York. Why did Anne wait until he was 53 to take action? I cannot say. But the bottom line is, the judge ordered him to give her half his wealth, all in cash. And since all the money he had was tied up in land, he was forced to liquidate it all. His ex-wife took the money and his children to Europe after the divorce. After that, it was all downhill. He invested in property and railways, which failed, and then large areas of land in Mexico, and that also ended badly. He began to drink heavily and even attempted to open a brewery. 
nothing went right for him, and by the time he died at the age of 70 on the 14th of May, 1889, there wasn't even enough money to pay for a funeral. His body laid unclaimed for over a year in the San Diego County Vault until it was recognized by chance. He was given a Christian burial marked only with a stake. But his legacy lives on in the San Francisco area, with many locations named after him, including a city, a bluff, a river, an island, a mountain, and even a middle school. His wife, Anne, didn't have any better luck, losing all her money with bad investments, and she died penniless in 1916. Eventually, Samuel Brannan's grave was given a proper headstone, which reads, Sam Brannan, 1819-1889, California pioneer of 46, dreamer, leader, and empire builder. The news of Marshall's gold was just another fantastic tale, too unlikely to be believed. The gold rush needed a booster, and Sam Brannan was the man. A San Francisco merchant, Brannan was a skilled craftsman of hype. Eventually, the gold rush would make him the richest person in California, but Sam Brannan never mined for gold. He had a different scheme, a plan he set into motion by running through the streets of San Francisco shouting about Marshall's discovery. As proof, Brannan held up a bottle of gold dust. It was a master stroke that would spark the rush for gold and make Brannan rich. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. So what do you think about Samuel Brannan? Was he a devout Mormon who became disillusioned with his faith? Or did money and wealth pull him away? Some have suggested that he just used the LDS as a means to an end, never really having faith at all. I can't really say one way or the other. I don't have enough information. I don't think he was underhanded or corrupt, just a capitalist. I can't say I've I read anything that shows that he cheated anyone, unless you call not giving the church 10% of his earnings cheating, I guess. The thing is, I don't think Brannon was a good man or a bad man. He was just human. I don't know what he did with his money. For all I know, he could have been very charitable. Or maybe he wasn't. Anyway, let's get on with the ending credits. Like I do every week, I'm going to remind you that we have a Patreon page that really could use your support. Just go to psycon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N.fm, and look for the Patreon link at the top. Every dollar helps, and of course, a sincere thank you to everybody who already supports the show. And speaking of Psycon, why not go over and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find an amazing amount of geek culture. Shows like The History Files, Who's Who, Pint Notes, Geek Days, Take Five, and so many more. Just visit Psycon.fm. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. If you want to complain or say hi, I'd appreciate it. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. 
Your story ideas are always welcome and usually needed. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin, and believe me, I understand, just go over to iTunes and leave a review or a few stars or something. Those really help increase the show's popularity. And remember, links to all the sources that I used to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network and for suggesting today's topic. A wife of 33 years for being my wife of 33 years. David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo. Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme. And to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And a special shout out to all those that repost the show on Facebook and Twitter. You'll always have a special place in my heart. I'll be back in two weeks with another thrilling story. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream Didn't like it, now he never looks back Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Met a girl from Beantown Jeff was always hanging around She drank tea, but that was okay She was the dawn of Jeff's new day Coffee with Jeff Coffee, my coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, my coffee with Jeff Years go by and life's filled with change Sometimes your plans get rearranged He's seen it all and he's weathered it too So Jeff wants to have some coffee with